On today's episode, we climb the social ladder, go to the little podcaster's room, and get mad at Democrats? All that and more coming up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Our Science. I'm your host, as always, Alan Collier, and I'm joined today by Kyle Bine. Hello there. And Toby Mankus. Hi. If you haven't heard the show before, what we do here is take the three most popular scientific papers of the last two weeks, break them down, get past the headlines, tell you what's really going on in the world of science. How's that prefer... Well, you just ruined it. I couldn't couldn't say the word professionalism, and I think that's a sign. Our first article today comes from the University of California at Davis. Most teen bullying occurs among peers climbing the social ladder. Um, So this this is interesting because they act very surprised with the results, and I'm not really. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'll lead off by saying the problem they have and the problem I have with this, and they acknowledge this, is that it's very hard to define bullying. Yes. And the textbook definition, i.e. the the definition that science often uses, which is not always the same as the sort of colloquial tech, you know, dictionary definition that we might use outside of science, but the textbook definition of science of, of bullying is one that even they have a problem with in the paper. And they're like, I don't know if this really counts, but it's what we're going to use because what everyone else has used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of dance. Honestly, they dance around it and I don't even blame them because it's like, it's this weird thing. Like we all know what bullying is. We just don't, we just don't define it. Because it's grown so much too. Like even in the past decade, bullying has evolved I mean, I mean, aggression is like, you know, there's like this very classic physical sense of bullying. And then it became it, it, it's there's also like a verbal bullying. And now with like social media, it's like it, it's so hard to define and constrain what actually is bullying because it's constantly changing. Like now bullying can include making a mildly insulting sound on TikTok. Like it just it, there are new ways to bully people every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing is that like bullying could. There's a fine line between bullying and good-natured ribbing between friends, but there's also a really fine line between bullying and straight-out abuse. Mm-hmm. It's such a it's such a wide thing yeah. that goes in. Anyway, yeah, yeah, and sometimes the like the the bully won't even intend it as anything harmful. They're like, I don't know, this guy's just my friend. And I'm just giving him some good-natured ribs because that's what friends do. And then the bully, the bully, bullied. No, the bully, the bully. Yeah, the bully. Thank you. The bullied. Um. The victim. We'll, we'll take we'll take it in, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll take it entirely different ways. Um, we're allowed to make that joke, Toby. I name. do wholeheartedly. Uh, don't cancel us. <laughs> He's given. Wait, well, uh, Toby, do you give us consent to make ginger jokes? All right, consent is key. Well, and and Toby briefly mentioned power dynamics back then. Yeah, the whole purpose of this is like the classic visualization that people have of of a bully is like you know the person who is has a higher social status picking on the person who is of a lower social status than them and what this study has found is that you know that is usually not the case it's usually within peer groups and it's sort of like a jungle teeny teen world out there where everyone is fighting for social hierarchy and that's why a lot of anti-bullying programs don't work because they're all focused on like you know targeting these more powerful groups and trying to get them to stop picking on the 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 less powerful groups and not realizing that no they just actually all hate everyone they hang out with 
I bullying is, I think, traditionally thought of as like punching down. Yeah. But this is suggesting that it's not so much that just as often it's someone on the same level as you that you're trying to lower in order to raise yourself up. You're all like a jungle. You're all battling for the same social status. And I do think, and they do actually make it uh, clear in the article, for adults, bullying is still very much punching down. For uh, like adult bullying is very much people in a position of power punching down at people lower than them oftentimes. In this scenario, though, it's they're saying that teen bullying is often within peer groups, and that's because you know teens can't sink any lower. So uh, there's no there's no there's no room to punch down, so they punch sideways. That's not to say that that punching down or what we think of like more traditional bullying doesn't happen. No, it definitely Absolutely does. Does yeah, yeah. So this is not like oh that no longer exists now it's this. No, it's just like this also exists as well. Yeah, it exists and it, it it's more often what happens, which actually this kind of aligns with with the, my own personal experience the, they talk about what is it the frenemy effect where it's yeah. these these people who are you know high school is just by nature is very clicky you have people that are in the interested in the same things as you you are you gravitate to each other you become friends but in a lot of those scenarios you are also very competitive whether it's for a sports team or for a role or for just to have the best grades you are in a group with people you are competing with all the time. <laughs> the opening line of this paper is, Abraham Lincoln once asked, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Yeah. Abraham Much Lincoln never attended uh, Monty Python, which we had in the previous. <laughs> that's, that's a, really a great good, opening. That's a, that's great, a great opener. Opening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're still not over that. Yeah. Still not over that. But let's talk about what the actual study was. They did a large long, longitudinal social network study. Longitudinal means over a long period of time. Uh, doesn't mean they just use tall students. <laughs> that would be funny. Though. So 3,000 8th, 9th, and 10th graders in North Carolina over the course of a, of a single school year. And the, the important thing coming out of this was that teens who were friends in the fall were more than three times as likely to bully or victimize each other in the spring of that same school year. Yeah, so schoolmates who's friendship ended during the year were three times as likely to bully or victimize each other in the spring, while those whose friendships continued over the school year were four times as likely to bully those friends. So they were actually more likely to continue bullying their friends if they remained friends. Does it does it say how they surveyed the students too? Because I wouldn't be surprised if in some of these cases the bullies don't even necessarily consider what they're doing bullying. Yeah, and this is where it becomes tough because it's, as far as I know, it's it's all, I mean, it kind of has to be. It's all self-reporting and it's all, like, people describing. This is definitely a, ca uh, a case where, like, and that's, that's, like, all of it is bullying. Because if a person feels as though they are being bullied, then they, as a victim, they have a right to feel the way they do. But it's, it's interesting that because it's, like, self-reported, people are saying that they, they feel bullied by these people that they are continually friends with or that they were friends with. Um, but there might be a disconnect between the, the people who are doing the bullying and being like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm just like, I'm teasing them about this one thing. And I think I should be able to do this thing and, or whatever. It's, it's just, it's interesting. The, the final paragraph in this is that they think this is one of the reasons that very few anti-bullying programs work. To, to, to climb that social ladder and how much of it is like, that's like, how aware of you know purposeful their actions are and i know that was like some of the definitions of the like um instrumental aggression you're asking teenagers to be self-aware at that point and that's <laughs> and even if magically they were i don't think it would matter 
Like the most important thing, and I don't, there's probably some debate on whether or not this is something that's like taught to kids or something that's just picked up. But the most important thing for kids of that age is social status. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Bitcoin of high schools. And it's like a, it's like a horrible, it's a horrible feedback loop though too, because like, because there's this perception that advanced social status equals less bullying, people think, okay, if I do this to advance my social status, I will be bullied less. And it's, it just, it, they're like trapped in the cycle of like, okay, I have to bully to maintain my social status uh, because that's the only way I will not be punched down, but I'm not being punched down. All the people in my group with me are, are also like doing the exact same thing. And that's why this didn't surprise me, these results, because I remember being in friends group and there was, there was like an unspoken little war going on within the friends group and we were still all friends and we still all hung out, but there was this little, like, if we had a chance to gain standing or sense weakness in anybody, like we jumped on that. I would like to see how this carries, like, I would like to see this in adults because it, it becomes less of like a bullying and like snide commentary and stuff, but there is still, there's a competitive atmosphere, but somehow we're functional through it, you know? <laughs> and if, I think eventually what happens is yeah, you just get down so much that you realize if you don't have any self-esteem, it can't go down. <laughs> and then you don't longer care there and you then go. you just live your life. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Kyle, do you have anything interesting for the banner section? Because otherwise, I know what I'm going to use. Um, this week, I gathered information for my taxes. Is that interesting? Okay, no. Stop right. right there. I, it, it was uh, one of the hardest things. Uh, Toby, you have been struggling one. through the first article of this. You just struggled through that first section, didn't you? I, uh, I've been diagnosed with a crippling case of the hiccups. <laughs> I mean, um, you're struggling, struggling as you speak. Would you like to tell everyone how for, you're struggling? We're recording a podcast. <laughs> and so I've been like holding my breath. I've been like drinking water. I'm like, oh, no, 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 Every every now and then you'll just no. I think it's just time, and it's like stop talking and take a sharp breath in, and I'm like, oh, there it is. I none of those things work, do they? Though I've never heard of a trick with hiccups that actually make them stop. I, every time I have yeah, hiccups, I'm always word, worried that like I've also never people who the hiccups just, just don't farm. stop. It's like, like, this farmer had hiccups for 23 long. years. It's like, oh god, is that <laughs> me? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. You're really buying into the old wives' tales on face on um on hiccups, aren't you? I was also realizing that we can replace old wives' tales with like Facebook mums. <laughs> In terms of like misinformation, like that's that's what the original misinformation was with the old wives' tales. That I knew this, you know, don't don't make that face of me, or it's gonna stay like that forever, and you'll be stuck with that face. <gasps> don't hiccup, or you'll be hicking up, hicking up, hiccuping, hiccuping, forever. It's crazy how much of our body we have no control over. Like when you start yeah. thinking about that, yeah, when you start thinking about that, like the amount of body you, the amount of like body parts you do have control over is way less than the amount you don't. Yeah. Who knows what you're, you, who knows what your body's doing because you're not doing it. Like, you're moving your arms and your legs and your eyes and your mouth, and that's about it. Your ears, they're just there. The nose, like, you can control a little bit of it, but clearly not all of it because otherwise I wouldn't have one nostril stuffed up and one nostril totally fine. But I do. Oh. <laughs> Our second article today comes from Eureka Alert. 
Fecal transplant turns cancer immunotherapy non-responders into responders. Uh, so let's go over quickly what non-responders into responders mean. So this is one of those ones where we're going to go through what the study did first, and then we'll talk about how funny fecal transplants are. Um, so this is looking at... Where melanoma. Did I write this? Melanoma. This is looking at melanoma, which I don't want to say it's just skin cancer, but like it kind of is... It, it's it's skin it's a type of skin cancer it's very specific to the um the uh to a specific type of cell in your skin like your your pigmentation cells the melanocytes so you can have type you have skin cancer you can have it in other types of cells but melanoma is one of the most common types of skin cancer and it honestly doesn't matter for this what does matter is that if you have melanoma advanced melanoma i should say there is a 40 percent chance that you will just never respond to immunotherapy and immunotherapy is like the go-to, I don't want to say cure, but treatment for this, is immunotherapy. It has a failure rate of 40% for this type of cancer. So a 40% chance that you're just not going to respond to it. So what they did is they took the people who do respond to it, and especially the people who respond to it really well, and they did what's called a fecal transplant, which is exactly what it sounds. It's like a poop transfer. But you're not, the poop isn't important. What you're doing is you're transferring the gut microbes from the person who did respond to the person who didn't respond. Because in that gut microbiome that you have, which we'll get into in a sec, that lies the key as to whether or not you're going to respond to this type of immunotherapy. And so if they can transfer the gut biome of the successful person to the non-successful person, and this is the responder versus right. the non-responder, then you can take people who previously weren't responding to immunotherapy and have them start responding to it. We have been doing this podcast, this is episode 45, this is about a year and a half we've been doing this now, and I'm honestly shocked we haven't talked way more about the gut microbiome. We've talked we've talked about it before, but I was like I thought we'd be talking about gut microbiomes like every week. And if anything, we're talking about prisons every week somehow. Yeah. But this was this was like I thought this was one of the big hot topics in science and it still is but i'm like we haven't talked about as much as as i thought we would so i'm glad we get a chance to today because the gut microbiome is like this ecosystem that lives inside of you in your gut as you might suggest so this is like lower intestine generally where you're doing all like this there's just millions and trillions of microbes microbes and bacteria and stuff living inside of you and everybody has a different makeup it's like a fingerprint everybody's going to be a little bit different and the makeup of this ecosystem of this microbiome greatly affects your health in ways that we're just now exploring. And one of the ways apparently is how you respond to immunotherapy. We know that the gut microbiome is important. We know that there are good bacteria to have in your microbiome. We don't know what they are. We don't know what they do. We just know that it's important. And so for now, until we figure it out, we know that if you've got the good poop and you put the good poop in the person that doesn't have the good stuff, it should work. This cutting, the very cutting edge of like, you know, uh, this whole sec a whole area of biology. And I think it's just fascinating. And I think like they, they don't even necessarily know why the microbiome boosts response to immune. Like they've got, they've got no, they just, they know that it, it does. And this is the whole thing, is that there, they coined this, there are 100 trillion gut bacteria. This is from the article. 100 trillion is a lot. Yeah. And it could be like one of them that has the right reactor, that has the right key to make it work. And you can't test all these bacteria to figure out which one it is. 
So you just throw the whole lump in. You just say, here's have all this guy's bacteria. Something's got to be good in there. And then you figure it out that way. ...with certain outcomes and, um, like, as well as, like, increasing, like, you know, concentrations of certain serums. But, like, it's just, it's a lot of, like, this makes it happen, so we're going to keep trying it, which is kind of like the Wild West. It's worth noting that there were 15 patients that tried this and only six showed tumor reduction that's 40 percent like lasting more than a year so of the 15 six it was successful which may not sound like a lot but it's better than zero even uh showing some disease stabilization for like a short period of time i don't know if that's something that they accounted for but even if it's like a temporary fix that's still with with treatment of a lot of cancers now there's like they don't really focus on it at, in terms of like, you know, this is a cure or this is we are we are, uh, like going to beat the cancer. That's not a thing. They just talk about in terms of treatment plans. So if this is something that even works for like a six month period of time and then you can do it again and it lasts another six months and then that at least prolongs life, you know, like it's even in a case where it doesn't show tumor reduction or, or stabilization Absolutely. longer than a year. If it's something that can be done continually, it can still improve length and quality of life. I feel like this is something that, that Katie always rails on, but she's not here. Uh, this goes into like how we talk about curing cancer. It's n- There's not going to be one day where we just all of a sudden have decided, okay, all cancer is cured. You're just slowly whittling down the percentage of people who you can't cure. So this isn't going to cure everybody, but now instead of 40% can't be cured, it's like now it's only 20%. So you're just whittling it down. Yeah, and they actually, they, even within cancer's treatments, they're changing a lot of their, their terminology. Um, they they don't often talk about stages of cancer anymore. Like, that's not that's not terminology that's commonly used anymore. In terms of cancer treatment, and it's like how that also influences, like, how we understand cancer treatment is, is when we start using, like, you know, fighting and losing the battle and, and things like that. I'm also going to use this to go into, this isn't related to the study so much anymore, but it just relates to the way science works and especially how science is communicated. Because I think, I, I'm, I'm thinking of, of global warming versus climate change, where they changed the terminology to make it climate change because it more accurately described what was actually happening because warming, like, yeah, it was warming in general, but there's so much more that's happening. The snowstorms that are currently happening in Texas are related to the same effects, and that's not a warming. That's, if in that exact moment, that's a cooling. When, when that happens in science, they're not trying to, like, deceive you or hide something. It's because the previous terminology just wasn't accurately describing what's happening. We've gained new information, and now this is a new and better term. It's not some kind of, like, weird conspiracy thing. I am not funded by big science because I'm not funded by anybody. No one gives me money to do this. I wish. I would love to be funded by big science. Yeah. I will cover up whatever they want, but I can't. So... I can't. So, like, literally, it's just it's it's just new information, and that's how science works. Like, it's constantly changing. So, it's just new information that's coming out. I would like to be funded by by uh, Bullet Branch because I need new sheets, and I don't want to pay for them. So, <laughs> honestly, Meundies would be fun too. I hear they're comfortable, but again, like, I I no 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 don't, don't get say paid they're comfortable enough. until they give you money. No no no. We don't. Well, know no, I hear they're comfortable. I don't get I don't get paid enough <laughs> to, to find that out. So. <laughs> yes. 
I mean, anything is an adult diaper yeah. if you really think one, about it. One cool thing, and there's a bit Cal's of a, doing some it's kind of buried in, in this paper, I mean. was that, like, looking at and the... And that's like, bullying. <laughs> okay. Leave that in, Ian. Ian, leave that in. Our third article this week comes from the Academic Times. Democratic governors who went office by thin margins lock more people up and spend more money on jails and prisons than their Republican counterparts. So let's go into this because I I always worry when we do this podcast, and we, we've dodged it for the most part, that when we, do, when we talk politically about things, especially in the states, we're naturally going to have a left-leaning slant because Reddit uses a left, is a left-leaning slant, and that's where we get the papers. And while I think it's pretty safe to say that all of us on this podcast lean left i don't want that to be our like i don't want that to be where we're coming from as a podcast we're not trying to be politically biased and the fact of the matter is regardless of what side you sit on party lines all political parties deserve criticism because they are your employees you pay you pay taxes to them to do a job to make the country theoretically a better place. So you have the right to criticize whatever political party you do or do not support. Oh, I'll I'll give you one better. They deserve criticism because they all suck. Well, there's that too. I was trying to be diplomatic about it, but... No, all of them are terrible. Some are more terrible than others, but that doesn't mean they're terrible. So this this is fascinating to me. And it's, there's a couple little maybe minor issues, but I think it's for the most part it's okay, but this is a fascinating study to me. It's fascinating, and it also made sense, but also was it, it, it was a thing that hadn't occurred to me. The theory here is, and like in terms of the, the methodology, they basically just looked at publicly available information. So I won't go too much into like the methodology, because they were just analyzing data that's publicly available. What they saw was that Democratic governors who win office by thin margins. So I think they defined it as like within 10% of even on either side. It's like 40 to 60%. And 60%, being 60% of the vote seems pretty large to me, but I think like California, the Democratic governor is going to win by like 80%. Yeah. So we're it's still like relatively small. We're in this... Yeah, it's it's, it's in a, battleground states. Yeah, yeah, battleground states are purple states where it's not definitively always red, always blue. It comes to, sometimes switches around. That's what we're looking at here. Democratic governors who went off who went office by thin margins were going to lock more people up, and they're going to spend more money on jails and prisons. And commonly, every time we talk about prisons, which is a lot, for some reason, and every time we complain about prisons, it seems like we're complaining about Republicans because they are the ones that tend to spend more on prisons and arrest more people in general. And there are lots of things to complain about American prisons. Ooh, so many things. Oh, yeah. All the things. Like, the American prison system sucks. Um, super interesting about, like, uh, kind of breaking down um, certain myths and going into, like, how much of this is true and how much of this is not. Uh, I won't say any more, but just uh, prisonpolicy.org is a really cool site. No, I would, you know what? I would rather not, to be, to be quite frank. I mean... Feel free to say more. It is a podcast. Uh, well, okay, I'll go. It just it it, it, it... Feel free. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll link it then on Twitter, and you guys can do your own research. Then, I no, that's fine. Yeah, go explore that. I haven't explored it because you didn't tell me about this. Yeah, we're done at fecal translates, totally. <laughs> but this is it, it. Makes perfect sense though when they kind of explain the the evidence that the the author found to sort of back this up is that 
when these Democratic governors are are facing this this close race in their state and they're trying to, you know, they, they know it's going to be a tight margin, they need to sway people who would vote Republican or wouldn't really vote at all to their side so that they can win. They promise to go tough on crime. And then when they're elected, they are, I guess, they're delivering on their promises, which is, I guess, a good thing. 18% um, and increases cost by $15 per capita, which is not insignificant at all. And when, when we say the, the American like penal system sucks or the criminal justice system sucks, this is what we're talking about. There's so many people in jail that do not need to be in jail. Yeah. So, And yeah. this is greatly oversimplifying things, but putting more people in jail is not the answer. But there's this mistake of thinking that tough on crimes means you just put more people in jail. Yeah. When... And and this is like... And, and Kyle alluded to this. This is essentially the Democratic governors throwing the other side a bone and saying, oh, look, we'll, we'll do some of the things you like so that you'll vote for me next time because, look, I put more people in jail and we know it's what you want. As opposed to, that doesn't actually help anybody. No. It's a, a terrible idea. And the political... Or the the... Just the criminal justice system the, from beginning to end of, you know, arresting people and putting them in jail. They just throw a bunch of money at it and it, it doesn't fix anything. It just it just puts more people in prison who don't need to be there. And then when they get released, there's no systematic supports in place to help them find jobs. And so a lot of them, like there's tons of repeat offenders uh, in the U.S. and it's just a hot mess and the U.S. criminal justice system makes me sad. The Canadian criminal justice system makes me sad but less sad. Um, yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> ...has at some point been incarcerated. Yeah. Yeah. And I guarantee you it's weighted towards certain demographics more than others because those are what the police are targeting. And I should, for the record, that's because the police are targeting those demographics. Yeah, and but this is this these type of studies are important because if we're going to solve the problem, we got to identify the cause of the problem and it's you cannot just say Republican bad, they're doing this. Like no. No, it, it's this is a bipartisan issue. You could argue the Republican voters are pushing for it, but the Democratic governors are willing to play that game. And they are willing to do this for political gain if that's what it does for them. And the important part of this is that it's an increase. When we talk about 17% more, it's compared to Republican governors in the same situation. Yeah. So that's that's where it becomes important because it's, ironically, if you want to reduce the people in prison, you might actually be better off voting for the Republican even if that person is quote-unquote tougher on crime because they don't need to prove it as much mm -hmm. and then this becomes part of the whole complex web of politics and yeah. it's like just weird nobody actually does what they want to do they, they do what think is going to appease the most amount of people what this really speaks to is there is a massive disconnect and i've noticed it in the past like like i guess the past two like federal election uh fed, or i guess it's not federal what is it called in the u.s national elections I don't know. The one where the president is elected. National? Yeah, I guess, yeah. This is the presidential election where there's been this, there's a huge disconnect in the Democratic Party between what they think both their own base and the Republican base wants and what those voters actually care about. And so they they keep throwing this bone of, and it's, 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 
important to note that this is this is state elections like they, they and they also talk about that specifically in the article about how this is very much a, a state by state issue although it is something that exists in like the national democratic party but there's this democrats don't actually know what republicans want and so they don't speak to those issues and in these cases they're throwing them the bone of tough on crime but like if they actually got some time, like spent that time to get to know that base better, they might find issues that other bones they could throw and let be less complicit in this issue. Yeah, it's it's lip service essentially saying I don't know what you actually want, but here's jail. Yeah, like you said, no one wa- no one wants to sound like they're not tough on crime because yeah, it, like in theory, it is a good thing because if people do actual real bad crime, you know there is a place for a penal system. Um, incarceration, <sighs> how, like, the funding affected it, like, who was actually paying for the prisons affected, you know, the amount of, you know, arrests and, and um, convictions. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was also a, a case where they made it the state's responsibility, right? Yeah. One of the big takeaways from this is what sounds like it's a solution isn't always the solution. So what sounds like being tough on crime is arresting more people, but that's not actually how it works. If you really want to be tough on crime, you you have to be more targeted with where you're looking for crime, not just throwing big nets over large areas and saying you're all arrested now. Yeah, especially when those large areas are very specific to certain minority groups. Yeah, a scalpel, I'm mixing metaphors now, but a scalpel is way more effective than just a sledgehammer. And right now, like when you're increasing arrest rates, you're just taking a bigger sledgehammer. Really, drug crimes, which they kind of like, that's a bit of a myth um, that so much, but like just how expensive low level stuff is. And just when you when you bring up that white collar, it just makes things like the millions of dollars that are stolen um, by business criminals. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, I'm actually shocked. I'm shocked by how low the drug-related arrests are in this. Right. It's a really good, it's a really good pie chart, but yeah, I'm, it's way lower than I thought it would be. I mean, if you put it all together, it's still probably more than it should be. But yeah, the violent crimes make up the way more than the drug do. And that's all the time we have today. If you'd like to check out our gut microbiomes, then you can find us on Twitter at rsciencepod. That's O-U-R sciencepod on Twitter. As always, we're sponsored by Science Everywhere. They're an events and media company down in Toronto. You can check them out at scienceeverywhere.ca. If you'd like to read the papers for yourself, then all the links will be found in the description of this episode. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen. The more feedback we get, the better we can make this podcast for you, the consumer. Capitalism, woohoo! For Kyle and Toby, I was your host, Alan, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Don't speak for me. Okay. <laughs>